Welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's your host, the Bitcoin Boomer himself, Gary Leland. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, of course. Welcome to the show. This is a show where we try to educate you about Bitcoin. That's all we want to do is educate you, not sell you Bitcoin, but educate you Bitcoin. This is the third season for our show, so we're moving along quite nicely. Stephanie, how are you doing today, my great producer? I'm doing well, just trying to get all the buttons going. But um, for our guest this week, I saw some stuff about flared gas, so I, I was curious about some things around that. Okay, well, you, I guess you have a specific question. We're going to make sure and come back to you for that. Flare gas is something we've never covered on this show, so when we talk about that, we'll be coming straight to you. So, as I said, we talk about Bitcoin on our show and only Bitcoin. We don't. I do not believe in any other cryptocurrencies. Some people think that it's like the stock market. You buy them all, you don't. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, Bitcoin is the only thing you need to worry about. The rest of them are going to come and go. Many of them are scams. On today's show, we have Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan works with, uh, runs Fort Worth Bitcoin, a great meetup group over in Fort Worth. He uh, runs, uh, this guy does a lot of things, but most of the things he does is in the world of mining. He's from Venezuela. So on today's show, we plan on talking about hyperinflation in Venezuela and how Bitcoin is coming to save the day there for many people. We're going to talk about mining and go into what is Bitcoin mining. That's a term a lot of people have a hard time with understanding how you would mine Bitcoin. When we think of mining, we think of getting picks and shovels and digging holes. How do you do that with a computer network such as Bitcoin? So that's something people are also interested in. And as uh, Steph said earlier, we're going to talk about flare gas and flare gas mining. That is a subject we've also never covered on this show. And last but not least, I plan on talking about Senate Bill, Texas Senate Bill, SB 1571, I believe. May have the number wrong there. I'm sure I do. I'm not very good on my memory anymore. But we're going to talk about a Senate bill about Bitcoin and what's happening there. I was down in Austin yesterday for a rally against the bill. So uh, it's a lot going on this week, a lot to cover this week. So stay tuned and make sure and tell your friends, friends, families, anyone you know about the Bitcoin Boomers show. So we'll be back in a minute after this word from our sponsors with the Bitcoin Boomer Show. And like I said, don't, please don't forget to tell your friends about it. We want to share the word out there. And Stephanie is definitely wanting you to share the word with everybody. So, so we'll see you in a minute. Thanks. I love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like, it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore, like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. You come to BitBlock Boom once, you're going to come every year. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, as I said earlier, Gary Leland. And it's great to have you coming and watching today. We're going to have a great show. We have a great guest, Jonathan Kahn. Um, we're going to go ahead and bring him on instead of wasting any more time. Jonathan is a local Fort Worth guy. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, give everybody, before we get going, give everybody a short bio. You do so much that we could spend half an hour probably just going over your bio. So give everybody a short bio about who is Jonathan. Sure. Uh, well, I'm a Venezuelan-born veteran of the U.S. Army. Uh, I uh, 
started in oil and gas back in 99, eventually found Bitcoin in 2013. And uh, I try to apply everything that I know to the world of both energy and Bitcoin. Well, and, and you do a lot of things, which we'll go over uh, during the show here. But before we get started, um, I'd like to know, what is your orange pill moment? I asked this, I asked two questions I ask everybody on this show. And that one of them is, your orange pill moment, and for those who don't know what orange pill moment is, how did you discover Bitcoin? Please share that with us. So uh, my orange pill moment would have definitely been in the dark web days, uh, buying um, unsavory substances in college uh, and uh, running into, you know, needing to buy Bitcoin. And when I heard about it and kind of dug into it at first, I dismissed it completely. I thought it was uh, Minecraft money. So that was my my initial moment was just buying some Bitcoin. I think it was twenty four dollars when I first bought it. That, so. that puts you at one of the lowest uh, that we've had on here. I think we've had a couple lower than that, but that's getting down into the uh, early early days of Bitcoin. There, when you're talking twenty four dollars. Now, were you since you told me you're buying unsavory substances? Were you using Silk Road back then? Yeah, uh, it was. I want to say it was right after Silk Road got taken down. It was one of the other markets that was uh, was going on. And and it was just, you know, that was what you needed to pay. And, and I thought nothing of it other than, hey, I need to go get tokens for the casino to buy whatever I want at the casino. Now, do you think that's, you know, back then Silk Road and things like that were some of the first use cases for Bitcoin? Um you can do transactions on those sites since they couldn't use dollars on those sites. Say Bitcoin, I guess, was the point. Do you think that's hurt Bitcoin somewhat or slowed down the progress of Bitcoin because people all of a sudden start associating Bitcoin with criminal activities or illegal activities? I mean, I think yes and no uh, from, from an image perspective. Uh, maybe for the first world, yes. But for anybody who is from outside of the first world, you know, um, no, it was always clear to me that, um, you know, dark markets and gray markets were always going to exist and that internet money was going to be one of the first things that would be adopted in such a system. Um, and having been from Venezuela and knowing what, you know, Venezuela has three different, you know, currency prices for the Bolivar, um, it was pretty clear to me that this was a, a, a solution around you know, being able to do commerce in an easy, trust, trustworthy way uh, with someone that you didn't know. And switching subjects again, because you just brought up Venezuela. Have you been there in the last 10 years? Because I know you're born there. So the last time I went to Venezuela was 2014. Unfortunately, my sister passed away. And it was the I was at the Texas Bitcoin conference uh, and I got a call and Basically, on Thursday, I had to leave and had to fly down to Venezuela, and I almost didn't make it back. Uh, on the on my way back from my sister's house to the airport, my other sister, um, basically, they stopped us at the road and they said, "Hey, you need to go this way." And uh, my uh, my dad's best friend was taking me to the airport. He's like, "John, hang on, <laughs> we're not doing this." And he took a hard right, and we basically bolted away. They were basically pointing us in the direction of the old highway and, and we were not going to do that. I mean, it was, we knew we were going to get stopped and probably kidnapped. So that was the last time I went. Um, I was getting at, beautiful what I was getting at though, were you, have you been there like during this hyperinflation time period? 
Well, hyperinflation hap- started happening, you know, back when I was still there. Uh, I mean, it was very clear. So, like, I see pictures of uh, like Venezuela uh, boulevards laying on the street, you know, that there are no value. And here's stories of people carrying wheelbarrows full of Venezuelan money to buy a pound of coffee. Is, was it like that? Oh, uh, so it, it, it's not like that unless you're leaving the country. That's one thing that people have to understand. Inside of the country, prices change very quickly and people have adapted to this for, for quite a while. Uh, and so it's kind of a race once you get paid to just go spend your money. And it always has been that way. And so because of that interaction, uh, like, for example, I remember when the Venezuelan believer was five bolivares to a dollar. And I think it's like in the millions now. I think uh, the last the last time I saw um, the figure was 2000 percent inflation a year in Venezuela. So literally, there's, there's just not even a way to, to calculate how big the inflation number is because the government basically just, you know, every few weeks just changes the exchange rate arbitrarily. So Bitcoin must really be going up there all the time. When you yeah, compare the bull, if you're buying Bitcoin and boulevards, I mean, you must see the price just going through the roof. Uh, it's a lifeline. It, um, so before before uh, Bitcoin got so popular, um, there were a lot of people that were mining quietly at home and they were supporting their families with just, you know, one or two S9s because that's how um, that's how much value people, people don't heavy. know S9s are miners. Bitcoin miners. Yeah, it's, 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 the S9 is probably about, you know, six, seven years old now as far as a miner is concerned. So it's, it's been out quite a while. Um, and, you know, basically all of the older hardware ends up in Latin America because they have cheaper electric rates or they have ability to, to you know, illegally mine because there's no, you know, they're tapping into the electric grid and not paying for it. Um, so there's there's a lot of that that happened early on. Then the government caught on that that was happening and they set up some really weird like mining agency that you have to register and you have to do all this stuff and they confiscated they basically stole a, a giant amount of miners and stuffed them down into the missile silos that they had so they took out the missiles put the miners in and basically mined on free energy and and i believe that's the majority of what uh you see out of venezuela is them pushing out the narratives of the Petro and altcoins, the mother of all like, you know, scams is the Petro uh, because they saw that it had a lot that, that there was adoption in the crypto world. And so they wanted to tie on, tie on to that. And I think at one point they said it was backed by a mix of gold and, and, and oil that equated to about five billion dollars. Of course, this was nonsense. Uh, and further further down the road, when I was doing the Crypto Concierge project, which is a humanitarian project, my more technical partner and I decided to audit the, the blockchain there, and we found transactions from 1969. So go figure. Yeah, well, go figure. For, yeah, that's kind of a <laughs> that's kind of a confusing uh, point there. So, do you personally know people who've left? Because you talked about earlier, you don't have trouble with the amount of currency you're carrying around unless you're trying to leave the country. That they've adopted to it. I guess you know people who've used the the boulevard to buy Bitcoin, memorized their seed phrase, and left the country and took their wealth with them. We got about a minute and a half left. Sure, we actually we actually in our crypto Sahara project had a lesson about that. We were teaching people how to cross the border because there was a big ex the largest exodus in the history of the Western Hemisphere 
happened in the past few years in Venezuela, about 30% of the country left. And so people were leaving with whatever they had on their backs and they would, and the exchanges were so crazy that they would have trash bags or suitcases full of money. And they would be either carrying these across the river or going through the actual checkpoints. When they go through a checkpoint, the guards there would say, Hey, leave half that right there. And so you have this situation where just by the, the exchange rate, the bulk of the, of the amount of money that you have to carry was insane. And it's just the target on your back. And so we were t- teaching people how to use uh, the 24 word or 12 word mnemonic phrase to keep their money in their head. And that way it couldn't be taken from them. So when they arrive in the United States, all they have to do is basically log in, enter their mnemonic phrase, sync a new wallet to the old wallet, and they have their Bitcoin or they have their wealth. And they have all of it. Yeah. Well, typically what they would do is they would go to an exchange right there, or, you know, a, 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 just a coin house. And, and yeah, they do get take a pretty big hit, like 20, 30 percent on the exchange. But they're able to, you know, save more than, you know, what they were able to save coming through the border. Well, that's a great life savings. We'll be back in just a moment after these words from our sponsor. Welcome back to the show. We're having a great talk about Bitcoin. We're talking about Venezuela. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking with Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Now, that is um, something about Bitcoin that I think in the United States, the fact that you can remember your mnemonic phrase and leave with your Bitcoin, your wealth, that's something about Bitcoin that most people in the United States really don't even care about. They don't even consider. They don't even think about it. But for probably 98% of the world, that's a pretty big tool. Yeah, you know, the the fact is, is the majority of the world will never see a brick and mortar bank. Um, and so when you have the ability to not only access, um, you know, savings that are not bound to a third party. And so you, you eliminate counterparty risk. You're essentially keeping it safe in your own house. That, that carries its own set of risks. But in a place like Venezuela, where any you know the gov- at any point the government can just seize your assets, man, that's that's a lifeline. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Hey, let me ask you a question. This is the other question I ask everybody. In your words, to you, your definition, what is Bitcoin? Hmm. So I'll give you the definition, the lesson that we gave the refugees, which I think took us a long time to define down, and it's three things. So Bitcoin is money that is not controlled by any government. It's money that operates through the, through the use of a private and public key pair. So that's your account number and your password. And finally, it's money that you can carry in your brain through that mnemonic phrase that we spoke about. So those are the things that we'd like to leave people with because we didn't have a lot of time. Uh, for me, it's uncensorable money. That's, that's really what it comes down to. It's something that you can have. And, and I would say, coming from a land background, that it is the most idealized form of ownership. So in, in property ownership, you have the fee simple estate. But fee simple basically is understood that it's the government giving you the right to own that. But the government still has the ability to claw back those rights. 
Whereas, and that's the truest form of, of legal ownership that you can have is fee simple. Um, whereas with Bitcoin, you have total ownership. Nobody can take it from you at any point in time. So that's that's where I would put Bitcoin is. It's, it's idealized ownership. Now, my next question normally is, is Bitcoin money? But uh, you said three times it was money, so I think we know your answer. So I think we can skip over that question. You know, something I do want to talk about, though, that you're very involved with is Bitcoin mining. Um, would you mind explaining mining? We have a lot of new newbies on this show from time to time. Would you mind explaining Bitcoin mining? Because a lot of people have a hard time with that concept. I think it's a terrible name for what it is, but uh, I know why it's called that. But would you mind explaining it? Sure. Uh Mining is basically a way to secure Bitcoin by basically making everybody solve a very difficult problem. And that difficult problem uh, protects the chain from being edited uh, by a party that's not uh, authorized to do so. So a quick primer into blockchain. Blockchain is basically a series of transactions that's written onto, say, a little piece of paper. And inside of this little piece of paper, this block, right, we put all the transactions. In order for it to be, you know, unchanged, that's put through a math equation that garbles it all up. That math equation is called SHA-256. That's the equation that all of these computers run. And that's mining. That's basically what it's doing is we're running this, this equation that basically runs a hash function. That hash function is then put at the beginning and at the end of every block so that every block basically is tied to the last one. And so we're able to then validate that the chain is basically tamper-evident. It's not that it's tamper-proof because a 51% attack or something like that could technically change the chain, but we would all be able to see it and we would all be able to say, hey, that's not valid and we're not participating with that. So Bitcoin mining distributes the Bitcoin and it protects the Bitcoin chain. And it's a pretty complicated thing. I mean, it's, uh, that's what, I guess that's what makes it so decentralized and uh, compared to the other. I would say I, I did leave out the fact that for this effort, for this work that you do, you have a reward, right? Like, why would you do this work? Why would you spend all this money and all this electricity? Well, it's because... Bitcoin comes with a reward mechanism, and that reward mechanism is a subsidy, a mining subsidy that the, the, the rules of the Bitcoin network or the protocol enforces, plus the transaction fee that is an additional like fee that they can earn. And so for the work of running this algorithm as quickly and as efficiently, efficiently as they can, they get a proportionate share of what they contribute to the network if they're in a pool. If they're not in a pool, they're basically playing a lottery. That is the case now because of how mining has changed so much over the years. You know, um, you know we have the halvening every four years, which cuts that reward you just talked about in half. And it started with 50 Bitcoins and you could every 10 minutes and you could do it on your laptop. You didn't even have to be in a pool. Now, with ASIC miners, which are machines, application specific, computers, they only do one thing, mine Bitcoin. That's all they do. And there are places like down at Riot Bitcoin in South Texas that have just buildings after buildings with these mining machines in there. So basically, well not basically, Bitcoin is the largest computer program running system, network, whatever the heck you want to call it on the planet. And they're all fighting 
right now because of the happenings for what? Is it six Bitcoin? I mean, that they're fighting for? Five Bitcoin. And, and I, I'd, I'd say, look, uh, Bitcoin, as far as a supercomputer, is by far the largest supercomputer that humans have ever built. Uh, it, also, it is also the most successful decentralized network that we've ever built. Um, and, and it uses a it uses a game theory that is very elegant in that we're all it, we're all fighting for this reward but we're all fighting for this reward in a way that we don't tamper with each other and so it doesn't matter that you're mining or that I'm mining even though we're competing we're not hurting one another we're just contributing to the network and actually you mentioned a 51% attack a minute ago that hypothetically that is possible for you to do a 51% attack, you by the time you were able to do it, you would have spent so much money in Bitcoin mining machines, and you would have earned so much Bitcoin, so much wealth, it would be kind of hard to, des to destroy your wealth and your investment. I mean, uh, so it's not in your advantage to try to do a 51%, even if you're a nation. By the time you do it, the expense and the wealth you've created uh, you wouldn't want billions of dollars to go to zero. Moreover, you're only at, you, your 51% attack would only be able to edit one transaction in one block. It wouldn't change any of the previous blocks. So it's kind of a futile effort. I mean, why would you do all that work for a single transaction edit? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, going back to something earlier, just because I have a question real quick, we don't have a lot of time. I'm going back to Venezuela for a minute. Um, you know, in the United States, we see the government looks like they're messing with on and off ramps. Do they not do that in Venezuela? Mess with on and off ramps so people have a hard time buying Bitcoin? The thing is, is that it's more of an informal uh, market there. And so the, the gray and the black market for the dollar have already established themselves from way before Bitcoin was around. So those same gray and black markets are where you would go to exchange a Bitcoin. You wouldn't go to a government uh, associated place because... A, you'd probably get robbed, and B, you'd probably get put on a nasty list. So most of the time, people are using like HODL HODL or local, before local Bitcoin shut down, local Bitcoin had a huge following in Venezuela. Um, but there are other markets that are kind of achieving penetration in there. And then really the other part is that people leave Venezuela to Colombia, go exchange their Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin in Colombia sometimes, and then they come back to the country. So there's there's a few ways to do it, but most of them are informal. I, I doubt really anybody except for Chavistas are exchanging through government sanctioned exchanges. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't think about it. You just cross the border and make your transaction and then cross back over with your Bitcoin. That's that's easy enough. I didn't realize, uh, I guess dollars are illegal to turn in boulevards for dollars. Uh, no, it's not illegal, but it's like for I'm just throwing some numbers out there. Uh, the official rate is 250 bolivares to a dollar, um, you know, and then you probably like the the market rate, the black market rate would probably be, you know, a much worse deal. So okay, well I want to continue with that and talk about flaring when we come back. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor, Grandpa. Why do you have so much Bitcoin? Well, it all started in the year 2023 when I attended a conference called BitBlockBoom. What's BitBlockBoom, Grandpa? It was a conference where people talked about Bitcoin. This was way back when we used something called the US dollar for money. What? 
Bitcoin wasn't always the world's money? If it weren't for great speakers at BitBlockBoom like Jimmy Song, Adam Curry, and Preston Pish, we'd all be living in pods and eating bugs. Instead, I was able to avoid fiat enslavement and secure generational wealth. F***ing legend. Be the legend your grandchildren deserve. Experience the best Bitcoin conference out there and join the Bitcoin revolution. BitBlockBoom, the only conference for true Bitcoin maximalists. Book your tickets today at bitblockboom.com and use the code BBB1 for a special discount. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. And as I said earlier, please share this show with your friends. Let's help educate the world about Bitcoin. And this show has been an interesting talk because we've been talking a lot about hyperinflation in Venezuela, which we've never discussed. And we're talking about mining, which we have discussed. But we're getting ready to discuss a part of mining we've never discussed, if you can follow that sequence there. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. And now I want to talk about energy in this segment in Bitcoin. I want to start out with everybody knows energy like electricity. So, But I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about mining Bitcoin with flare gas from oil wells. You know, you see that burning up all the time. Let's talk about that. Tell me about that real quick. Let's start the conversation. Yeah, so uh, I believe that's a Crusoe setup right there that you're showing. Uh, Flares are something that happens because there's no market or no pipeline going to the the well, the drilling site where you're you're trying to produce oil. Typically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get out a bunch of oil. Oil wells, a lot of people don't know, aren't just oil wells. Oil wells comes with gas, comes with water. It's just whatever is down there. And so oftentimes, when you drill and complete a well, you have a flare stack where you're burning off the excess gas because that gas has nowhere to go. And you cannot let just methane and hexanes and heptanes and all the other anes onto the atmosphere because that could be really, really bad and it's nasties. But we don't want to let nasties off in the air, so we burn them off to try to control that. Um, at some point, oil and gas people got, you know, a few oil and gas Bitcoiners got you know, savvy to this. And they said, hey, if I could just take some of that gas, clean it up a bit, send it into a generator, I could create electricity. And because that's technically a zero value when I burn it, but it's now electrons when I put it in a generator, I can turn those electrons into Bitcoin and thus net a return on that gas that would normally pay me zero. So that's the basic idea of of, uh, flare mining. Um, It it works in some places. One of the things about flares is that most people think that a natural gas well or an oil well is like the tap and you know the faucet or something in your house where you just turn it on and it floats. It's not really how it works. Every single well is alive. It's got its own dynamics. It's producing differently. Sometimes it makes oil, then it stops and it starts producing gas. Then it stops again and starts making oil again. So every well is different and every well has a slightly different way of producing. So when it's making gas, it's not often making a steady stream. It's burping, it's breathing, it's flowing in different ways. And as you can imagine, a natural gas generator probably doesn't like a big burp on on its gas stream. So typically what you need to do is you need to find places where there are either multiple wells coming into a single site so that you can control the flow and regulate it. Or you're going to like a midstream site or a downstream site where there's a constant flare because they're just flaring to basically let off pressure. Hold on. It's like Stephanie, our producer, has a question. Stephanie, what is it? What is it, Stephanie? 
So I was just thinking, like, if we can harness that pollution, essentially, that's burped out, it would be good for the earth and for the environment in general, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, like, that's the point is that, uh, you know, you've got you've got a chemical that is eight times more damaging to the atmosphere uh, as far as uh, a greenhouse gas is concerned than uh, CO2 when you're releasing methane and all the aids out into the atmosphere. So we want to try to control that as much as possible. And, and if this is energy that we are burning, you can see it's it's creating heat. So obviously, there's there's energy there. There's BTUs there that we can use. Uh, it would be better for us to utilize those in any way other than just burning it off and letting it just, you know, create light and some heat. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. This is a way that we can control that. Um, there are some other interesting things about, about the way that Bitcoin mining could affect oil and gas. So, for example, um, heater treaters, there's these things in tanks that just sit underneath the, the oil tanks in the field because it gets cold. And oil, as you know, kind of solidifies. It gets sticky. It gets hard when it gets cold. So you need to put heat in the oil tank to make sure that it's viscous enough to flow through the line. Well, right now, that's just a regular heating element where you're just, you know, like the heater in your house, basically creating heat from just electricity to heat up the soil. There's a really good spot there for a Bitcoin miner because Bitcoin miners are 99% efficient at converting electricity to heat, but they have an additional stream of something that they produce, which is Bitcoin. So, hey, we're getting a two for one. And that's that's kind of the idea is like taking all of the inefficiencies that we see in the oil field and applying some sort of energy draw or energy um, reutilization that would yield a benefit not only to the operation there, but also to the Bitcoin. You know that um, using it for heat, as you just mentioned, there are companies that make um, for your home uh, heaters, radiators, radiator heaters, like in olden days that mine Bitcoin and produce heat mm -hmm. for your room. So it's the same, same thing. Uh, not the same thing, but basically you're working on the same principle of using that heat to make money while you're heating your house. Yeah. I mean, any any place where you need heat, uh, I know there's, I don't know if they fully got it off the ground, but in Vancouver, I think Northern Vancouver, uh, there was a project with the city where they were, the city actually has uh, citywide pipes that where it distributes heat through the piping, through hot water. And they were integrating Bitcoin miners into that to replace boilers. So again, this is, this can scale pretty much any size. When you mentioned they bring in a generator to do the convert the gas into electricity, until I found out more about it, I thought we were talking about <laughs> a generator like you see on the side of your house. I didn't realize these generators are like the size of a container. I mean, maybe not a full container, but they're big. These are not like little generators. This is a big expense. If you're going to mine Bitcoin, I mean, I don't know what a generator costs. Maybe you can educate us in that, but... It must cost a lot of money. And then your mining equipment, you bring in a container normally filled with mining machines. What is an actual, we got three minutes here. What is an actual start of investment for a simple rig like that? Okay. Well, the, if, if we're talking simple, uh, we're probably talking in the neighborhood of a V8, right? Um, and that's probably maybe $100,000, $200,000 for the whole setup. That's generator. That's uh, dry coolers, 
that's the container that hosts the miners, the, basically the mining container, um, all of that. But when we're stepping up to like a megawatt, now you're talking about your Caterpillar engines, your Waukesha's, those are your big guys. That's, that's the ones that you're talking about that are the size, you know, of a minivan or something like that. Um, and those basically can run you anywhere from a half a million to a million dollars for a setup in the field, depending on if you're getting a reconstructed one or a brand new one. Just for the, that's just for the um, generator. That's not counting all the mining equipment that would be in the container, right? Uh, so in some of the latest, some of the latest stuff that I've heard, I believe with immer- with some of the newer immersion uh, stuff, you can get down to one uh, million one for a container, the generator, the whole setup. So th- this is my point. If someone is mining Bitcoin on their with their flare gas on their oil uh, rig area. They aren't just saying, oh, yeah, let's just try this little machine out here and see what happens. They are making a substantial investment. I mean, obviously, there must be some real money to be made mining Bitcoin or you would not be investing that much money to see. Let's see how it goes. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, natural gas prices have been uh, very volatile lately, but typically natural gas prices float around the $2 range, $2, $3 range. And, And depending on the price of Bitcoin, you can get anywhere between eight and ten dollars per MCF. MCF is thousand cubic feet of gas. So um, that that's a big difference. You know, that's a, that's definitely a uh, material event to a company. Uh, and if you're a small, you know, mom and pop operator, that's a real material event. Yeah, for sure. Bitcoin mining is amazing when you go see a big production. Um, you know, most people just think of Bitcoin miners as some guy in their classroom at college dorm or some little thing. But these are major networks mining Bitcoin that are worth, I mean, they're on the, they have stock on the NASDAQ, wherever. So these are big corporations. Bitcoin is invested in by major companies all over the planet. Now we're getting ready to go to a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about legislature stuff. We're going to talk about Senate Bill 1751 when we come back. So stay tuned for that. See you on the flip-flop on the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Welcome to the Bitcoin Conference Challenge. Today, we're teleporting Bitcoiners like you to two different Bitcoin conferences, and you'll get to experience them firsthand. Let's take you to Conference A. Hmm, it's okay. Some interesting speakers and workshops, but there's a foul odor in the air. What is that smell? Interesting. Now let's take you to Conference B. Wow, this one is amazing. The atmosphere is electric, the speakers are great, and the workshops are fantastic. Ah, and the smell. It's so nice to fill your lungs with freedom. Congratulations. You've just experienced the difference between a Bitcoin shitcoin conference and BitBlockBoom, the longest-running Bitcoin-only conference. Book your tickets today at BitBlockBoom.com and use the code BBB1 for a special discount. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Today we're joined by Jonathan Khan. John, uh, Ben, welcome back. I do want to go over something that's kind of like I was involved with yesterday a little bit down at the Capitol in Austin. I want to talk about Senate Bill 1751 um, that was just passed in the Senate unanimously, I believe. Can you explain that to our guests real quick or to our audience? Yeah. You're our guest, sorry. Sure. It's it's a bill relating to the, basically to the incentives and the tax breaks that are involved in Bitcoin mining. Uh, the state has, through the government governor's efforts, uh, 
been trying to incentivize Bitcoin miners to, to come to the state and set up shop there. Um, and because we have uh, senators and people in, in government that aren't, you know, uh, technically savvy, they're not engineers, they don't understand how things necessarily work. They assume that some of the things that are going on are um, unfair. And so what do I mean by that? I mean that they see a Bitcoin miner turn off all their equipment and they all of a sudden they get a, a check for $9 million for turning off their equipment. How does this make sense? Um, well, technically, they're, they're, the thought is that because Bitcoin miners turning off, it's because the price of electricity is going up and they're basically curtailing in order to, to curtail their, their expenses. Um, that's not necessarily how this works. In order for you to participate in the man response programs, you have to register, you have to apply, you have to register, you have to be approved. Not only that, but then you are set up on a mandated schedule that when the state or ERCOT says you are shutting down, there's not an option, you're shutting down. And so that's not the same as saying, hey, you were going to shut down anyways. So that's part of the confusion. I think another part of the confusion is just not understanding that, you know, this is generating a lot of wealth and a lot of work for the state and that in in the very near future um you know it's even going to incentivize uh both natural gas and renewable generation to be built out uh in many cases uh, you know a lot of what i do with bitpetro is using geographic information systems which is mapping and data to be able to help uh oil and gas companies bitcoin miners green energy companies develop their sites and in mapping and looking at all this data, we can see places where a Bitcoin miner would actually help the grid. So, for example, in West Texas, when the wind blows really hard, that power tends to be stranded because there's only so much of that power that we can get out to, say, DFW from West Texas. And so what you'll see if you're driving down the road is these giant wind farms will have, you know, maybe a third of them or 20 percent of them shut down and you're like what gives it should be they should all be spinning right now this isn't the wind blowing isn't this good for us the fact is that the electric grid has to be has to be maintained in balance and so the exact balance of load and uh production has to be met and matched and that happens on a minute by minute uh basis and ERCOT, which is the regulatory agency that controls that signals generators and consumers in order to be able to achieve this balance so if this bill goes through, which has already gone through the Senate, um, it's not going to necessarily kill Bitcoin mining in Texas. But when we have a winter storm like we had a few years ago, there would be no incentive for Bitcoin mining companies to shut down so there could be more electricity floating around. Since when they shut down, they're out of business. You don't ask a clothing store to shut down and you don't ask a grocery store to shut down. Um, so there'd be no incentive for them to shut down. They'd be going, we're not going to let all these people go and just shut down our investment here because it's this winter. Well, let's talk about why there's an incentive in the first place, right? Like the reason that a Bitcoin miner is a valuable asset to the grid or a controllable load resource is that it's cheaper to turn off load than it is to turn on generation. So if we're going to spin up a turbine, there's a significant amount of lag time, there's a significant amount of expense that is required to turn on that turbine. Whereas if we tell a Bitcoin miner, hey, you're pulling, you know, 100 megawatts and they shut down, 100 megawatts is instantly available to the grid. So it's not just that it's 
uh, it's not just that there's a benefit from the financial standpoint. There's a real hard benefits in the electrons that are flowing through the system that enables Bitcoin basically to act as a battery. So as a, uh, a base load, if you will. And then that base load can be removed and immediately that is available to the rest of the network. So it's a huge benefit to do that in that in that way. Right. So do you think this bill will pass in the House? It's probable, depending on how much the favors that are being, I believe that what's going on is we have a little bit, I don't remember what this is called, but there's a term for it where, you know, politicians trade votes on different bills. Um, and I think that's probably a little bit of what's happening. It might get to uh, the House, but it probably will be vetoed by the governor because the governor is very Bitcoin friendly. And and the fact is, is that there's just not, this bill doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It just, engineering wise, it doesn't make sense. Um, well, let's hope it does get vetoed if it passes through. Hey, I want to talk about Fort Bitcoin. You did the Fort Bitcoin meetup over in Fort Worth. You have a very good meetup. You do it in the different locations. I found out some great locations that I've been to because of your meetup group there. Let's, uh, we've got about four minutes, so let's, let's start with that. Tell us about Fort Bitcoin. Yeah, so Fort Bitcoin started uh, because I attended the TCU Energy and Blockchain Summit, uh, and I um, was very eager to see my university um, basically support the space. And then when yeah, I went there- Mining Summit to- last week. Uh, no, this was this was a couple of years back. So okay, this was the. I just no, yeah, just stating they had a great mining summit last week at TCU. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was a couple of years back before, and it, and it was basically just um, a lot of hype. And what I really, really didn't like is that I heard somebody propose a um, a token backed by oil. Uh, at which point I lost my mind because I'm like, hey, listen, what happens to the token when the barrel's gone? And the guy on the stage kind of went, and I was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be talking to young, impressionable minds. And we probably need to be directing the university to, to have a better topic or a better, uh, better substance when they're, when they're presenting to, you know, the, the alumni and the students and, and everybody else that's involved because their TCU drives a lot of attention to the city of Fort Worth. So that, that spurred me on to start uh, Fort Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I took, I took the, what I saw from other meetups and I tried to basically keep it in a Fort Worth style. Fort Worth's very chill, very laid back. And so we're a very chill, laid back meetup. We, we don't do a lot of uh, talking at you. We just come together in a place and explore the greatness of Fort Worth and Bitcoin together. Yeah, it's an enjoyable event. I recommend anyone check it out if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's meetup.com slash Fort Worth Bitcoin. Um, Go ahead and give everybody uh, where they can find you, follow you, any sites, websites you want to uh, them to know about. Sure. So, uh, Fort Bitcoin uh, does a website, but you can find us on Meetup and you can find us on Twitter. Uh, BitPetro, my company, has a website. It's bitpetro.app and you can find us on Twitter at BitPetro. And Crypto Conserje, which is my NGO, um, is a 501c3 that we just recently refiled in Texas. Uh, so that we can uh, take Bitcoin donations and you can get your tax benefits from your donation. And that's CryptoConserje.com. And you can find us on YouTube and all the social medias. And we put a lot of material up there on all the, on all the events that we did. We had, you can see the Airdrop Venezuela event we did with Crypto Graffiti. That was probably our biggest event and, and our most successful one. So 
Do you, what do you, uh, we've got like a minute left. We want to give a little information here. What do you think is going to happen in the next year with Bitcoin real quick? I think we're going to start to see the playing out of, um, you know, the international Bitcoin game. I think we're starting to see Russia really lean into Bitcoin mining and, and because of the sanctions that uh, the U.S. has imposed on them. Um, we're starting to see that this world that we live in is, is going from unipolar to multipolar. And that's going to drive the adoption of monies that are not backed by any one government because that it allows for the for countries to do commerce without trusting themselves. And so while China might not trust Russia, uh, Russia can sure pay China or China can sure pay Russia in Bitcoin. And then they don't have to have trust in one another's currencies. So I think a lot of that is what we're going to see play out. We're going to continue to see adoption in the third world. Uh, you know, what El Salvador is doing is simply amazing work. Uh, they're really they're really leading the way, uh, and so expect the third world to lead the charge, and uh, you know the first world will eventually catch on. Um, that's what I think we'll see. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about mining, about flare gas, um, about Venezuela. Um, I appreciate it, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. You know, we had a great conversation today and we covered some things we've really never covered on this show. So whether you're a new listener or viewer or an old time listener or viewer, it took us to season three to cover mining with flare gas, which was real interesting. I think this first time we talked about Venezuela and hyperinflation there, what it's done to the country. And um, gosh, I think we maybe only talked about mining twice in three years. So maybe we need to start visiting those subjects a lot more. But I enjoyed having Jonathan on. And uh, thanks, Jonathan, again for coming on the show. I also want to make sure you know about a few things going on in the, the world of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. And number one is BitBlock Boom. BitBlock Boom is a conference I do in Austin, Texas, or I founded six, our sixth year. Is This year is our sixth year. Get that out correctly. And we talk about Bitcoin there. It's every August in Austin. So if you get an opportunity, go to bitblockboom.com and check out our conference. If you're interested in talking about Bitcoin, this is the place to talk about Bitcoin, the longest running Bitcoin conference in the country. I also have a book out, Bitcoin and the American Dream. Now, this book was written by me and seven of my friends. We all met for a week in Austin, lived in the same place, spent 14 to 20 hours a day, it seems like, writing a book till we got this book written. It's a great book, hour and a half read. So if you're interested in learning more about Bitcoin, or if you have a friend you want to introduce Bitcoin to, check it out at bitcoinintheamericandream.com. Now, for those of you in Dallas and Fort Worth, be sure and check out my meetup group. Today, we talk about Jonathan's meetup group, but check out my meetup group, bitblockboom.com meetup. That's at meetup.com slash bitblockboom. We do a barbecue in Dallas every month and a meetup at a casual bar in Fort Worth every month. But it's a great way to meet people in the world of Bitcoin and network with them. And one last thing is uh, satshop.com, satshops.com. This is a store I've created to sell SAT cards. Now, what are SAT cards? 
You can use those to easily share Bitcoin from someone. Do you want to give someone Bitcoin for Christmas? Stocking stuffer? This is what you need. So go to satscardshop.com. I want to thank my producer, Stephanie. Did a great job as always. And I want to thank you for watching the show. And please, like I always say, share this show with your friends. I think you're going to be doing them a favor in the long term. When Bitcoin starts going crazy, the price starts driving up, in my opinion, they're going to be happy they know about Bitcoin. See you next week.